You've heard of Grammarly, and you might think it's a fancy spell check, but people on your team have been using it and loving it for years because it does way more than you realize. Grammarly is a secure AI writing partner that works seamlessly across apps and websites and can write an instant first draft in a few clicks, not a few hours. When every word your team writes is clear, concise and on brand, companies can save 19 days per employee per year. Learn what better writing can do for your company at Grammarly.com. Grammarly. Easier said, done. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do, that's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. From the heart of where innovation, money, and power collide, in Silicon Valley and beyond, this is Bloomberg Technology with Emily Chang. Chang in San Francisco, and this is Bloomberg Technology. Coming up in the next hour, Meta falls after reporting its first ever decline in quarterly sales. Add it to the list of social platforms, warding and ad pullback will hurt the bottom line. And the division that's building the metaverse, Reality Labs, lost $2.8 billion in the quarter. We will discuss. Plus, the Senate passes a bill to reinvigorate the U.S. chip industry. But PC sales are slowing as consumers get out of this pandemic mindset. How will this change? How Silicon Valley does business abroad? We'll discuss. And more bad news for Coinbase. Kathy Wood's ARC just sold $75 million in shares after the SEC announced an investigation into trading activity. So why are shares up double digits? We will explain. Let's stick with Meta now and bring in Deborah Aho Williamson, principal analyst at Insider Intelligence, as well as our own Bloomberg News executive editor, Tom Giles. Let's 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 break down these Meta results, Tom. Uh, you know, they don't look good. Engagement was, you know, came in slightly better than estimates when you look at daily active users, but revenue dropped. Uh, you know, ad revenue um, yeah. coming in light and yeah. the first quarterly sales decline ever. Yeah. Well, thanks for having me. The the thing that people are really focused on is the outlook for the third quarter, and it's not good. It's going to come in well below analyst estimates. Mm-hmm. Um, the miss on the revenue side, some of the active users they gained on the daily, but not on the monthly. So it's a very mixed picture there. The shares are down. They're not falling out of bed. People aren't looking this, looking at this and running around like their hair is on fire. Still, it's not a great look. 
you have, remember that, that Mark Zuckerberg has made this big pivot toward the metaverse and he's talked about we're going to lose money on that, we're going to spend $10 billion on it, we're not going to make a profit for many, many years. Right around the same time we get the war in Ukraine, we get this, this sense of a slowdown in the U.S. economy, in the global economy and advertisers really pulling back. We saw it yesterday from Alphabet and we're seeing it again today and David Winter, the CFO, for just a few more weeks right. came out and said we really see advertisers facing headwinds and there's a lot of economic uncertainty and they're pulling back. Same message as we got from Ruth Porat, CFO of Alphabet yesterday. All right. Uh, Deborah, let's talk a little bit more about this. Obviously, we look, we're, we're looking at chairs there. Um, uh, Zuckerberg saying Meta's products are continuing to grow in a challenging macro environment, challenging macroeconomic environment. Those are the words he's using. The company also saying they've reduced hiring and overall expense growth plans this year. What are your headline takeaways, Deborah? Yeah, so I remember years past when Mark Zuckerberg would start out his quarterly uh, earnings recap with phrases like, it was another good quarter or it was another great quarter. Um, we are not seeing that anymore and not for the foreseeable future when it comes to Meta. Uh, this year-over-year -year quarterly drop in revenue, uh, well, I think it was pretty much baked into expectations by this point um, among investors. Uh, it's really showing just how quickly uh, Meta's business has deteriorated in this uncertain economy that's affecting all of the digital ad-supported businesses. You mentioned Google, you mentioned Snap, Twitter. Uh, you know, we're all seeing them having difficulty in this economic environment. Uh, one thing that stood out for me with regards to Meta was the drop in ad prices. So we saw a 14% drop in ad prices in Q2. Uh, that came after a Q1 drop of of 8%. So, uh, you know, that really, I think, factors into what we're seeing going on with Meta's platforms now, where the, the ads, I mean, I guess to the advertisers, that's good news. The ads are getting cheaper uh, but for them, but it doesn't add up to very much revenue. And as Tom pointed out, you know, we're looking at Q3 and Q4 now, and we are not expecting anywhere near the performance that our forecasts had led us to, to, uh, to predict, at least it, it, even as, as recently as just a couple months ago. Now, Dave Weiner, the current CFO, moving on to become Chief Strategy Officer. Susan Lee, VP of Finance, becoming CFO, the first female CFO at Meta, I believe, ever. And this is scheduled to be Sheryl Sandberg's last earnings call. Does Facebook have the bench, Tom, to, you know, continue to grow this company? Well, you've got, you've still got other leaders there. You've got Chris Cox. You've got Boz. You know, you've got a lot of people who are who who are around Zuckerberg. But remember, he's the guy making the decision at the end of the day. And if people start to lose patience with him, there is nothing that the investors can do, given his ownership, given his control of the stock in the company. He really does need to bring smart people around him, especially when you see when you see Cheryl leaving. This is the woman who has built that advertising. business business into this this monster not doing so great right now but she's got quite a legacy and big big shoes to fill and this company is making an enormous pivot and reality labs lost deborah 2.8 billion dollars in the quarter this is a bet on a metaverse and a future that some people don't really believe is even possible what do you make of that are these investments these losses worth it 
Yeah, that is really the big question. And getting back to the, the idea of Mark Zuckerberg being in charge, I mean, this is his call. I mean, he has changed the name of the company. He has decided to pivot the company towards the metaverse. Uh, he is building this company towards that future ambition, uh, which we don't see any or hardly any revenue potential from for years. And at the same time, the core business is suffering. And so I will be the first to admit that I am a metaverse skeptic. I have been for quite a long time since the days of virtual reality of uh, Second Life. Uh, I think there's a lot for Meta to prove here with regards to the metaverse, about the potential for marketers, for advertisers, even for consumers to engage in, the, in it. And we just saw earlier today that uh, the FTC is now starting to investigate uh, an acquisition that Facebook made in the metaverse realm. So um, Facebook and uh, Meta is having just uh, so many challenges in front of it uh, on, on so many fronts that you know, this is really the quarter where I've really become more concerned about the company than I think I've ever been before in all the years that I've covered it. Interesting. As you mentioned, the FTC is trying to block Meta from buying a VR company called Within Unlimited. And Tom, it's interesting that there are already antitrust issues in a metaverse that doesn't exist yet. And that Mark Zuckerberg seems to be pursuing the straight same strategy, which is buy, not build. Exactly. And the FTC has to be really careful here. Remember, they have come under a lot of fire in recent years for not calling out Facebook when it bought when it bought out its potential competitors. It bought Instagram for a billion dollars, and that's become this huge business for them. It bought it when Instagram was tiny, and nobody batted an eye. WhatsApp, it paid a lot more money for, again, a potential competitor. And so the FTC has been criticized for not calling out Facebook and not saying, hey, we need to take a really close look at these acquisitions because you're taking out somebody who down the road could be your competitors. you got to bet they're looking really closely at this deal, right. even though it's small. Well, either way, big changes in store for Meta. This big executive uh, leadership change is going to be happening in November. Um, and we will, of course, be watching Bloomberg's Tom Giles. Thank you, as well as Deborah Aho-Williamson, Insider Intelligence. Always great to have you as well. Meantime, Apple just poached a 20-year veteran of Lamborghini to work on its electric car. Luigi Terraborelli will join the project, which has been under wraps for years. The Apple car is being designed by hundreds of former engineers from Tesla, Ford, Rivian, and other automakers. Apple plans to launch a car by 2030. Coming up, the Senate passes a bill to make the U.S. less reliant on chips from abroad. How this could dramatically reshape Silicon Valley's relationship with China. That's next. This is Bloomberg. What if everyone at work were an expert communicator? What if every doc, message and email they wrote was perfectly clear and concise? Inbox numbers would drop, customer satisfaction scores would rise and everyone would be more productive. That's where Grammarly comes in. Grammarly is a secure AI writing partner that understands your business and can transform it through better communication. Companies that use Grammarly save an average of 19 days per employee per year. That's because with Grammarly's AI, what used to take a few hours only takes a few clicks, like generating an instant first draft in your company voice or tailoring a message to your specific audience and goals. And Grammarly's personalized on-brand writing help is built in everywhere your team works, across 500,000 apps and websites. Plus, it's safe, secure, and already IT-approved. Join 70,000 teams who trust Grammarly with their words and their data. Learn more at Grammarly.com. Grammarly. Easier said. Done.
Success is more than the final destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's discipline. It's teamwork. And it's the drive and passion inside of us that comes before all recognition. It's what Stiefel's been doing for over 130 years. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel's become one of the fastest growing wealth management and investment banking firms in the country. Our financial advisors go beyond traditional wealth management to provide clients with direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises and a leading middle market investment bank. Because success is the drive it takes to keep climbing, the passion to keep investing, the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Start your journey at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. Qualcomm earnings are the latest signal that there is a change in consumer habits. The biggest maker of chips for smartphones reporting an earnings miss, reiterating a lackluster forecast for the rest of the year. Meantime, the Senate has approved a $52 billion bill to boost chip manufacturing in the United States, which relies heavily on parts from overseas. But the semiconductor industry is in for a rough patch these next few years. The research firm Gartner slashed its 2022 global semiconductor sales growth forecast from 13% to 7%. That is a huge drop from the 26% jump in chip sales we saw in 2021. Meantime, the Pentagon is making contingency plans if House Speaker Nancy Pelosi makes that trip to Taiwan. Though they say they don't think China would attack her plane, they say the Speaker is entering a hotspot. China, of course, considers Taiwan part of its own territory, a long source of controversy now for decades. Bloomberg's Peter Elstrom, our managing editor out in Tokyo, joins us now to discuss. He just happened to be here in town. There's a lot going on here. There's a lot going on What do you make of this Pelosi visit to Taiwan in the middle of all of of these other issues? It's very controversial at this point. I mean, clearly she has ended up in a very tight spot where uh, there are tensions on both sides. If she decides to proceed with the visit, that's going to cause problems with China. But at this point, it's very hard for her to also back down and pull out of a visit that she has been thinking about because it looks like they're uh, stepping back or retreating from the this issue with China. Clearly, she is going to put pressure on Biden during their phone call to try to get him to apply pressure to Nancy Pelosi, uh, sidestepping the fact that actually he doesn't have control over her action. She gets to make this decision herself. Meantime, you have this CHIPS Act, which seems to be heading to Biden's desk, unlike other pieces of legislation. And this is going to potentially massively reshape the relationship between China and the rest of the tech world, right? That's the hope of the U.S. I I guess the question is, are we there yet? Mm -hmm. It's taken three years to get to this point where the Senate has now passed the legislation, but the House still has to sign off on this legislation, too, and then they have to reconcile the two bills. It is $52 billion, as you say, that's about $39 billion in financial assistance, along with another $13 billion for training and research and that sort of thing. Just to put that in context, $52 billion, of course, sounds like a lot of money, but TSMC, Taiwan Semiconductor, is 
is going to spend 40 to 44 billion dollars on capex just this year, and the Chips Act is 50 billion, 52 billion dollars over five years. So it's modest in the grand scheme of things. It also uh, signals that the U.S. is uncomfortable doing this kind of industrial policy. It historically has not done it, but this crisis that we've seen in the chips industry with shortages, chronic shortages that have knocked out auto production in particular, has forced them to rethink how they're going to do this. And instead of focusing on the efficiency of the, of the chip industry, they need to focus on resiliency too. Meantime, you've got another potentially big shift happening in the chip industry itself. Qualcomm uh, coming out, missing estimates. We're, we're hearing from the CEO of Qualcomm right now, Cristiano Amon, on their earnings call, saying the phone market is smaller than forecast this year. Um, you know, obviously, we've talked so much about the the lack uh, of chip supply. Are we now going to see a glut of chip supply? These cycles do happen in the chip industry all the time. Right. That is the big question in the chip industry right now, that we do go through these cycles. And we've had shortages for so many years. Wait times are still very, very long. The signals seem to be that uh, we need more production of chips. But Qualcomm is an early sign that they are seeing a slowdown. Part of that, there's a caveat to that, and that's that they really focus on the smartphone market right now. And you have seen smartphone demand softening as consumers are hit with inflation and some rising prices in other areas too. So that may be a Qualcomm specific issue and you may still have some of these chip shortages in the rest of the supply chain. So what are you watching? Obviously the supply chain issues continue to evolve and we've got a big one. We've got Apple coming up Right. tomorrow where we'll get more insight into the supply chain. Well, um, it, the industry is very closely watching wait times around the chip industry and exactly where those wait, wait times are. So we've seen a little bit of a loosening in terms of the ability to ship these chips. That's helped some of the automakers. They're beginning to see some signs of improvement. Tesla has talked about some improvements in the supply chain also, but it's not resolved at this point. Mm -hmm. And to be clear, this CHIPS Act is not going to address any any of this because these chip plants will take years to build, at least two or three years before you can get any of this production online. So that's a long-term solution. It's not going to address this short-term problem. All right. Peter Elstrom in town from Tokyo. Thank you. going viral. Meta Platforms is facing some backlash after some of the most influential figures on their platforms, the Kardashians, are speaking out. Kylie Jenner and Kim Kardashian specifically speaking out against recent changes to Facebook and Instagram that make both platforms look and feel more like TikTok. The pair have a combined 686 million followers on Instagram alone. Instagram CEO Adam Masseri even posting a video explaining the moves, which some believe puts Meta's interests before their users. Bloomberg Sarah Fryer had a back and forth with Masseri on Twitter. She joins us now, and of course, she wrote a book about Instagram. What do you, first of all, let's 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 talk about what Kim and Kylie have said. Don't make Instagram look like TikTok, right? Don't make it look like TikTok. Make it so I can see posts from my friends again, please. And then Kim Kardashian added, pretty please. So, so listen, I think the Kardashians also have another interest here, which is that they have built their fame, they've built their businesses with, via Instagram, via building that relationship with followers that makes people want to buy their project. 
products, buy into their projects, and and really focus on everything that's happening in their lives. It's part of reality TV, and they really lean into that. And the changes that are happening on Instagram right now and Facebook as well are deprioritizing those follower friend relationships in favor of injecting your feed with content from people you may not follow like TikTok, trying to have this discovery of new things to keep you entertained, to retain young users, and to fend off this competition from this, the fastest growing app of, out there. Now, you had a back and forth with our Adam Masseri on Twitter, and you talked about how, look, Kim and Kylie are saying they want this. Instagram is saying they're making changes based on what users seem to want, not just what they say they want. Talk to us about your back and forth. So, I, I pointed out that Adam Masseri's explanation, this video that you talked about, was getting a lot of backlash. And, and he said, you know, I get a lot of backlash all the time. People, people are pretty, pretty uh, vocal when it comes to hating on what I have to say. And, and, and listen, I said, like, executives of social platforms, they have to figure out if they want to listen to the loudest voices what their users are saying or if they want to listen to the data and Facebook has always been erring on the side of listening to the data. Now I got a lot of pushback for my comment because people were saying well how is this data making sense if it's what Facebook and Instagram are showing to us. Of course we're using Reels more because that's all we get to see. Show us content from our friends and we'll look at that too. So, so the design of a platform really has a lot of impact on what users choose to do because these platforms are getting more and more passive, less and less about what we choose. And, you know, I wonder if it makes sense, does it make sense to keep them more differentiated? Is that a competitive advantage? Or does Instagram just follow TikTok and say, well, they're onto something? You know, another thing that Adam Seri told me, which confirmed one of my big suspicions, is that a lot of the friends and family conversation is moving into the other parts of their app. Instagram stories, Instagram direct messaging. And he said, yeah, that's that's really where we're seeing it. And so from my perspective, I feel like the reason that they need to stuff the main Instagram feed with, with Reels, their TikTok copycat, is because people aren't posting anymore. When's the last time you posted on your main Instagram feed? Mm-hmm. It feels really formal, like a big lift now. And, and people are posting more and more in stories because it, it just feels less like part of their permanent record, less like it has to be a huge life event. And the same thing we saw happen on Facebook maybe five years before, um, where people are now posting on Facebook mostly if they have something really big to say, like a new job or a wedding or a baby, mm-hmm. as opposed to just the mundane life updates that used to seem worthy of such a platform. Mm-hmm. As we grow our bases of, of followers and, and following, uh, it just seems less worth, that audience seems less worthy of our mundane life updates. Who's winning? Well, TikTok's definitely winning right now. Mm. I, I think that's that's very clear. And in Facebook's earnings today, Meta's earnings today, we see a, a slowdown in advertiser spending. But you have to think, you know, that's not just about the economic factors that they're citing. That's about this big change, the sea change happening at the apps that is causing people to use them differently or maybe abandon them. Um, it, and they have to do everything they can to make this bet work okay. in order to fund the metaverse vision down the line. Our resident Instagram expert, Sarah Fryer, thank you so much for your analysis.
Welcome back to Bloomberg Technology. I'm Emily Chang in San Francisco. Welcome back. We're going to talk about earnings now. A lot to unpack. I want to dig into Spotify, which somehow avoided an ad slowdown in the second quarter, escaping the fate of other tech stocks like Snap. I want to bring in Bloomberg's Ashley Carmen, who covers Spotify for us for more. So why did Spotify somehow pull out of this? <laughs> You know, they didn't actually give us a full reason as to how they avoided this. They did say, though, that, you know, maybe it was just this quarter. It does sound like they're looking over their shoulder a bit more. I spoke with their CFO, Paul Vogel, earlier today. He said, you know, Q3, they expect a slowdown, although still growth. But they are looking over their shoulder. You know, it could it could crater, it could not. You know, it sounds like they're kind of riding the wave a little bit here. But I guess I should also note that we're talking about a lot less revenue here. I mean, mm. hundreds of millions of dollars versus billions as far as the tech stocks go. So, you know, I think it, it's a bit of a different scale as well, and a lot a lot less to wrinkle. I'm I'm curious how what's happening with Spotify. You know, perhaps on a smaller scale, though, is some sort of um, you know signal about what is happening on a larger scale as well. You know, you see a platform that's adding users but gross margin declining. Is that a concern? <laughs> So last quarter for Q1 earnings, gross margin was all anybody could talk about when it came to Spotify earnings. The stock cratered, investors, it was at the lowest levels it's ever been. Investors were concerned about the margins because they, you know, Spotify's been making all of these podcast investments. So the investors want to say, hey, when are those gross margins going to go up? Um, And then this quarter, we really weren't expecting them to improve drastically. But the gross margin actually dropped. And Spotify says that's because they are ceasing production of their car thing, which is basically a Bluetooth Spotify remote for the car. And so that actually caused their gross margin to go down. But that said, the stock is up today. It doesn't seem like that spooked investors. Spotify had an investor day in June where they said they expect their margins to not drag so much from the podcast investments going into 2023. So we'll see if that long-term vision holds true. Meantime, you, of course, still have some artists who just won't put their music on Spotify. Now you're seeing some podcasts leaving Spotify. What's happening there? Yeah, so earlier today I published a story about a show called The Pitch, which was kind of this original Gimlet media show, which Spotify acquired that company in 2019, and how the host of that show actually just bought it back from Spotify and is going to launch it independently. And it's just an interesting move, given that we saw Reply All, kind of another Gimlet original show before the acquisition. It ended its production in June. Another show that was made by Gimlet called The Get Up, which was kind of Spotify's attempt at a morning radio show format, that also ended. So I'm not entirely clear what's going on there, to be frank. I think, you know, it's just interesting to see all three of these shows. Clearly, something's afoot. They've had some leadership shakeups and promotions. So, you know, something is clearly going on with their content strategy. It's just unclear what. Now we're going to keep talking about earnings. I want to bring in Mitchell Green, founding partner of Lead Edge Capital, his take on Meta's results and more. So, Mitch, look, you know, not great uh, across the board, though we did see uh, daily active users coming in slightly higher than estimates, but uh, ad revenue light, overall revenue light, a big loss in in Reality Labs, $2.8 billion, you know, where they are investing heavily. What's your takeaway? Emily, I haven't added, you know, we don't own Facebook and I'm not super detailed involved in it. I think the stock was up a little bit after hours, so the street must think it uh, was positive on it. And and I would tell you that expectations, I'm sure, were pretty darn low on it. I still think, think, I think Facebook has some issues maybe under the covers. 
Um, you, you're seeing, I think, like Kim Kardashian or one of the Kardashians was out recently tweeting or something of talking about how like she wished Instagram would just stop copying all the bite dance, the bite dance slash TikTok, uh, you know, um, you know, features. Um, you know, anybody that's on their Instagram feeds can't help but notice how many ads there are. I think TikTok is giving these people, these guys are run for their money in, um, in, in this, you know, in, in this younger demographic. And I think, I, I think like Snapchat still is trying to use the macro as the biggest reason. Like, I think they have a other reason than that their users are, you know, on other platforms. Right. So just how serious do you think Facebook slash Instagram's TikTok problem is. I think it's pretty darn serious. And it will be, you know, I, I don't know when, uh, you know, full disclosure, we're ByteDance investors, but uh, which owns TikTok. Um, I don't, it would be really fascinating to know, you know, what the very specific, when the public starts to know how fast the ByteDance and TikTok are growing, um, I think there's going to be a lot more written about how much pain these these companies are are experiencing from these demographics. By the way, just go ask a bunch of twenty to twenty five year olds or twenty to thirty year olds, you know, how much time they spend on on TikTok versus Instagram versus you know Facebook Blue, like that that or Snapchat. That'll answer your question. Right. Well, the question is. Is the digital ad spend also shifting uh, yeah. dramatically? It certainly Shifting seems around. like there's an attention shift, but is the money going to follow? I think I think it's like so. Um, I was speaking to some again um, due to our bite dance research and TikTok research. Um, I think a lot of the TikTok um, ad budgets are still um, in the experimental phase. I think they're moving quickly mm-hmm. out of it in much bigger phases, but like. Again, just relative to the size of Facebook, like, you know, TikTok's U.S. business is not that big uh, yet, but there's obviously a huge amount of room to expand. You're also an investor in Alibaba and, you know, they're now exploring this primary listing in Hong Kong. How are you thinking about Chinese tech companies right now? There are so many... (laughs) complicated dynamics. (laughs) That's an understatement. Um, First on the Alibaba question, um, I I think what they're, I think the biggest impact, like the the market as of when it was kind of yesterday, I don't know if it was leaked or the day before, it was kind of a muted response up a couple percent. It was a down market, so it was a little more muted, but it wasn't like huge. I think the biggest advantage to uh, Alibaba being primary, as I understand it, the primary uh, listing to be in um, in Hong Kong, uh, not in the U.S., is that they'll have access to the China Connect, the Hong Kong Connect, which is a, you know, could, I think I saw one research analyst say anywhere from 6 to $25 billion of incremental demand coming out of domestic China that would want to buy the stock. It's cheap. So is every other Chinese, you know, internet company. Um, it'll either prove right now to be the best buying opportunity or probably Ooh. dead money. Um, your guess is I don't really understand the zero COVID thing, um, but uh, it, it just makes it appears to me these people are like like tanking their economy and they don't need to be. But your guess is good as mine is why and when that ends and things like that. I, I like you know we own some Alibaba, haven't bought more, haven't sold it. I don't know. I, I do think though that multiples. Are will be in the multiple that somebody will pay for a Chinese equity is going to be impaired for a long time because right. let's say all of a sudden they get like you know uh, they get like more government approval the government looks friendly well guess what that doesn't mean in two years they change their mind and I think people right. are going to remember that. 
Well, hopefully for you, not dead money. I, I understand Dial Capital got acquired a minority stake in Lead Edge Capital. How do you see Lead Edge differing, differentiating itself from the pack? You know, where do you think you're going to find the next Uber? Yeah, that's a good question. So how we uh, how we differentiate ourselves is very unique for most funds, and that like most funds are solely backed by like endowments, pension funds, universities, insurance companies. Most of our capital, by number, actually like ninety five percent of our capital by by uh, number of investors is actually like world class execs and entrepreneurs, and we leverage those people to like help our companies grow faster. Uh, and so whether you know somebody might be looking for a female audit chair or looking for like customer intros or things like that. And, and the whole LP base has grown via like word of mouth over the last decade. Um, and so like we think there's a ton of interesting opportunities in software and that and our LP base can help uh, and enable companies to go faster. And we've been fortunate to back a bunch of great companies, whether it's companies like Toast or Asana uh, or, or Bizarre Voice and Marketo earlier on, our companies like Well Health, um, a whole host of uh, companies. Mitchell Green, always great to have you here on the show, founding partner of Lead Edge Capital. Thanks for stopping by. Meantime, Twitter is leaning harder into cost-cutting itself and remote work. The company cutting back on physical office space in a number of cities, including San Francisco, New York, and Sydney. This in a memo to employees. Twitter says the move doesn't affect current headcount of employees. Um, and of course, there's that ongoing lawsuit with Elon Musk. for our crypto report and the crypto winter has been brutal but let's take a look at DeFi and see how that is faring this downturn our crypto contributor Shanali Basik here with more Shanali yeah absolutely Emily because the reason we're talking about this is a lot of the big failures you've seen the big withdrawals you've seen and the big issues you've seen with regulation are with the centralized platform so let's take a look at DeFi then yes it's down on the year about 62% that is more than you've seen in Bitcoin but at the same time you're seeing a big hop back up this month month. About, uh, about 24% higher, and I've got to say, even today alone, you've seen Bitcoin jump on the heels of the Federal Reserve interest rate hike, and you've seen the DeFi index here, the Bloomberg Galaxy DeFi index, hop up even further. So you are seeing that, yes, big drop off, more than 60% this year, be more than you're seeing in Bitcoin, more than 50% this year. The DeFi index that we're looking at, we're going to be diving deeper into, because what does it, uh, what is it made up of? It's made up of things like Uniswap, Aave, Maker. Dow curve and just a lot of companies and projects that have really held up more than you've seen in other areas in centralized finance. So the big question here, Emily, is what is the future of DeFi? Is it the answer to the industry's problems? And does it start to hop back even more than what we've seen this month? C5 versus DeFi. Okay, Shanali, we're going to dig into this a little bit more. I want to bring in Mary Catherine Later, COO of the decentralized exchange Uniswap, which allows users to trade cryptocurrencies without the involvement of a centralized third party like other platforms like Coinbase, Kraken. Uh, uh, Mary Catherine, I want to ask you, first of all, we saw today Kathy Wood, for example, selling some Coinbase shares. There is a lot going on here, investors trying to interpret some mixed signals. What's your take on what's happening in, in, in CFI versus DeFi and where this is all headed? Well, thanks for having me. First, let me establish a little bit of the distinction between CFI and DeFi. So um, while we at Uniswap certainly believe in crypto broadly, whether that's as an asset class or the underlying technology, 
Uniswap and DeFi really is about the technology. It's really about decentralized rails for financial activity. Um, in contrast, a centralized exchange, as you know, operates the same way, frankly, that a traditional exchange does, but with digital assets. So that's a critical difference. It means that they're taking buy and sell orders, they're managing risk, they may be managing a balance sheet. Um, whereas in contrast, Uniswap, a decentralized protocol, is self-executing code. It's kind of like, you think about it as like SMTP is the core protocol at the core of email, and then you have applications like Gmail and others on top of them that help you um, actually uh, use those protocols. So in the, what we've seen in the past few months is, frankly, uh, risk management challenges at some of the centralized players that have struggled, um, and, and also some, some internal risk control challenges. Um, again, in contrast, these decentralized protocols don't ever touch customer money. They don't have customer accounts. And so that means that um, the way you manage risk is by having really effective software that's audited, that's battle tested. And so in the past few months, there's been plenty of volatility and DeFi protocols have, have proven themselves uh, generally resilient mm -hmm. and have not been hacked, have been, have been secure and have performed. Well, let's talk about this a little more in terms of the customer itself. There's a lot of talk about how customers get paid back more fairly when it comes to DeFi rather than CeFi. Is that true? And to the extent that it is true or not true, what is allowing that to happen at, um, um, with more certainty? Totally. So it is a completely different business model. So when you're trading with a centralized exchange, their entire business model is to make the spread in the same way it is for a traditional market maker or exchange, uh, to make the spread on a transaction as well as a transaction fee. Whereas in a decentralized exchange, there is a two-sided marketplace. So anyone can become a liquidity provider or a market maker. And that liquidity provider then gets their pro rata share of the fees from the trades executed on the platform. So Uniswap actually has no revenue associated with the decentralized Uniswap protocol. Instead, all of those fees, are, they're essentially flat fees that are redistributed at pre-described, the flat fees at pre-described rates that are then redistributed to the liquidity providers. What that means is that you could trade on a centralized exchange for 3 to 5%, and you could trade on Uniswap for 1 basis point to 100 basis points. So it ends up being a really material, material difference. I, I should add that the fees that you do have in DeFi are the network fees, so like gas fees on Ethereum that you and your um, audience are likely familiar with. Right now, those are very low because there's less network activity. But overall, the business model for DeFi is fundamentally different. It's using open source code to provide the activities that have traditionally been performed by central intermediaries. And so when we think about the promise of blockchains that uh, we've been sort of awaiting to see in, uh, in traditional markets for some time, I think what we've seen in the past few months is how that can become very, very different, how the benefit to the user is very different, and how, in the case of market volatility, uh, they still can really perform and, and prove resilient. What are the lessons you've taken from this very tumultuous time about how to make DeFi more resilient? I think most important is to anticipate how to protect your users and how to ensure security. That if we want to grow at this point, all of DeFi is still only about 4 million users. In order for this technology to get broader mass adoption, we have to explain its benefits better. Uh, so the cost benefits that I just described. But then we also um, have to ensure that we're making it simpler and easier to use. Part of why people use centralized exchanges is that they have on-ramps. You can exchange your dollars for crypto. Uh, they buy sports and stadium sponsorships, and so you heard of them. And this is an opportunity, I think, to grab 
drive greater awareness of DeFi so that people understand some of those benefits. And the second thing I'd mention is that it's an opportunity to introduce uh, risk management measures and screening that can help people understand the risk that they're taking, even if we don't yet have regulatory clarity in a great level of detail. All right, Mary Catherine Later, Uniswap Chief Operating Officer, along with our Shanali Basik, thank you for helping us better understand a very complex topic. Uh, appreciate it. Coming up, more updates on Meta's earnings. Stay with us. This is Bloomberg. What if everyone at work were an expert communicator? What if every doc, message, and email they wrote was perfectly clear and concise? Inbox numbers would drop. Customer satisfaction scores would rise and everyone would be more productive. That's where Grammarly comes in. Grammarly is a secure AI writing partner that understands your business and can transform it through better communication. Companies that use Grammarly save an average of 19 days per employee per year. That's because with Grammarly's AI, what used to take a few hours only takes a few clicks, like generating an instant first draft in your company voice or tailoring a message to your specific audience and goals. And Grammarly's personalized on-brand writing help is built in everywhere your team works, across 500,000 apps and websites. Plus, it's safe, secure, and already IT-approved. Join 70,000 teams who trust Grammarly with their words and their data. Learn more at Grammarly.com. Grammarly. Easier said. Done. Hi, I'm Ron Krzyzewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Steeple and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Steeple's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Steeple last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. Tech stocks rallied as Jerome Powell said the Fed will slow the pace of rate increases at one point. Let's talk about that and wrap the tech results of the day with our own Ed Ludlow. You've yeah. been listening into the Meta call. Yeah, I think what's really interesting, the other takeaway from the Fed was Fed Chair Jay Powell saying, we don't see a recession. We see no signs of recession. And yet, on the earnings call, Mark Zuckerberg, CEO of Meta, had this to say. Mm. They do see an economic, quote, downturn. Now, economic downturn is another word for a recession, however you want to slice it and dice it. The main thing is that budgets from advertisers are getting smaller. And no matter what Meta says, that's going to hurt them. The question, of course, is what's the broader takeaway here? And is this, yeah. part, is this a downward, the start of a downward trend for yeah. Meta sales, the first quarterly decline ever? You and I were talking about how this has been a weird week. You know, on the one hand, you have... Where's do- my sound effects, Ed? Right, okay. Well, <laughs> 
<laughs> you, have, you have Alphabet saying lots of search for travel, but I point out something's been bugging me for 24 hours. They yeah. also said that travel partners have been seeing headwinds. In other words, lots of people are Googling, where should I go on holiday? But the advertisers are pulling back, but Alphabet stock went up. Mm-hmm. You have Meta's results, the outlook for the current period, not strong, mm. budget's getting tighter. It's, they are giving the opposite view that, that, that actually the strength in the ad market's not there. We're getting inconsistency. We're seeing it in the chip sector as well. Remember Texas Instruments earlier in the week, very good. Qualcomm, not so good today. And we're, all, we're also talking about misses and beats by, you know, very small margins. Alphabet's ad revenue beat right. by a small ma- margin. Facebook's ad revenue missed yes. by a small margin. And that sends a big signal to investors. And you're always wondering if they're over-interpreting those signals. But you wonder if Alphabet is in a better position than Meta. Are yeah, there, there seems to be strength in search. You know, remember with, with Alphabet, YouTube was not as strong. It saw growth, but nothing like the same period a year ago. If there's a shining light for Meta, and we've got to give them some positivity, this time a year ago, what was happening? Apple was changing its iOS settings. That was when we first started to see the pain for Meta and advertisers around uh, tracking, right, on the platform. And what they're saying is that Thankfully, going into the next period, the comparables are favorables last year because last year was a disaster. So, Glad you mentioned Apple because we're going to be all over Apple tomorrow as well as Amazon, Apple and earning, Apple and Amazon, right. uh, the next to report. Okay, Ed Ludlow, thank you. That does it for this edition of Bloomberg Technology. We're also going to be talking to Qualcomm CEO Cristiano Amon Thursday on the back of their results in addition to Apple, Amazon, and so much more. Don't forget to check out our podcast wherever you get your podcast. I'm Emily Chang in San Francisco. This is Bloomberg. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.